Beginning the track, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Phage. 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 <laughs> we say that a lot in this episode. Welcome to Beginning the Trek, everybody. Welcome to Beginning the Trek. Welcome to the Phage episode of Beginning the Trek. Welcome to Phage. All right. Welcome to Beginning the Trek. Hello, I'm Andy Goldberg. I am the Trek veteran. I'm Jessica Ray. I am the Trek newbie, although I don't kind of feel like it anymore. I feel like I might be able to. Like, we've, we've been so far into this. You are so not the newbie anymore. I mean, we got to call you the newbie for the purposes of this show, and still, every episode that we watch is... Every episode is new. They're new to you. Yes. Because you're watching them for your very first time. But you have moved from what's the next episode to let me go out and do some research and find out some stuff and binge watch this and, oh, those animated series are great and wow you are just go 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 with star trek but if you guys are new to trek star trek in general obviously this was meant to be an introduction for people uh who just want to get a taste and see what it's like start at the beginning uh either the first one or corbomite maneuver um if you haven't seen this episode, definitely go see it. Phage. Phage. Yes. Today, if if you are following along with our trek, you'll know that this is episode 38 on our trek, and that is Voyager's Phage. Our second Voyager watch. So clearly we are in love with the title if we are in fact not in love with the aliens. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the the Vidians. We're gonna meet the Vidians today. And well you you so we're gonna spoil the whole thing. You're gonna give your 10 cent synopsis. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything else we need to say before then? I do remember something I needed to say. Go ahead. I need to apologize because oh. in the last episode we had been talking about getting things right with indigenous people especially in the Americas. And I said, I threw out something. Uh, it was like the Inca and the Maya don't exist. Cultures change, whatever. That is not true. They may not exist as a country or uh, like an empire like they used to, but the people do exist and speak the language that they used to be. So I did not mean to like just erase an entire people. And I don't want to be that person. So I do want to apologize for that. You, you're not that person. And I think everybody... It wasn't like, yeah, it was an honest mistake. I and would hope everybody knows. I think people got what I was trying to say, but... Just in doing some research, I went back and actually watched an episode that I'm going to add... So I'm for the first time, I'm going to add a recommendation to the introduction. And it's just a real quick okay. ad. The episode is called Tattoo. It is the ninth episode of the second season, and it gets into Chakotay's backstory a lot, especially how he chose to have that tattoo that he has, that drawing uh, applied to his face, why that's there and why he puts that on every day. So it gets into cool. some backstory uh, of Chakotay, and it mentions his father and, and relationships with his, his heritage. So interesting that you would bring that up as an apology because I was going to mention this anyway because it was just in doing my research, it was just such a cool episode for me to revisit, one that I didn't really remember mm-hmm. until watching it again this time. And I said, oh, that's a recommend. So there you go. Okay. Then now we can get back to phage. Yeah. Yes. Phage. <laughs> okay. Let's get this Ten thing. sentences. Ten sentences. Go get them. All right. So Neelix knows about some dilithium, which, as we will all learn, powers the warp core thingamajigs to be however fast they are in the area that they're in. So an away team is beamed onto some caverns in an attempt to find the dilithium crystals. 
It turns out that the dilithium is just a trap for some organ-thieving aliens, and Neelix needs to be beamed to sickbay because these aliens stole his lungs. The Doctor keeps him alive by using holotech to tech the tech in such a way that leaves Neelix unable to move even a couple microns, but he can complain about the ceiling and Kess's friendships with other men. We go after the lung stealers and end up finding an entire facility used to store other organs. Eventually, after some kind of cool mirror thing where we use lasers to find our way, we capture the two aliens and we learn that they are Vidians. These creepy zombies are actually just poor, helpless beings ravaged for generations by the phage, so they absolutely have to kill others who they trap, or else how else will they continue to create sculptures? Janeway has great compassion for the serial-killing, grave-robbing-infested hunters and decides that without any help available from Starfleet and no real means to keep them in a brig, lets them go. Since she was so nice, the Vidians used their advanced medical scanners to help Kess transplant her lung into Neelix, which the doctor hadn't considered possible because they were incompatible. And I really don't need this last sentence to say how disgusted I am with the mockery of morality in this episode, so phage. <laughs> phage. I, I, I must assess this. That whole thing came from disgust. I could tell because I, you're disgusted with the Vidians. You were disgusted with the outcome. And it sounded like it. I know. And yet a great episode. It and was. And great conversations come from it, right? Ugh, it's just icky. Okay, let's talk episode. Phage, Jessica. Phage. Phage. My second journey into Voyager, and I can see, much like DS9, the way they did a complete and total change away from the original series and Next Gen, this felt more like the original series than I've seen in a really long time. Hmm. Like you said, there were only two episodes between Caretaker and this one? Yes. I watched I watched them all. Okay. You watched all, all, all two of them? All two of them. <laughs> okay. Well, I actually wasn't feeling very good, so I, I watched also a whole lot of DS9, too, because I'm going through that oh, episode cool. by episode now. I'm sure the Niners love to hear that, but uh, <laughs> so now you, now you have to binge multiple I shows. Do. This is it's, great. This is awesome. It's a great problem. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to need to get sicker so you can spend more time. No, that is not the answer. <laughs> with your streaming service. You only say that when you're feeling healthy. <laughs> but this had like, it felt very original series, like the one-off aliens, mm-hmm. the little commentaries that you could go in a big direction, but they were kind of small in the character moments. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it felt more like classic sci-fi, not even just classic Star Trek, but mm-hmm. the, the moral dilemma kind of thing. In spite of all of that, I'm not going to give it a great rating because I think it left out a bunch and it really felt lacking. And I have a huge, huge problem with the decision Janeway made, which we will get to much later because I feel yes. like that's the meat of this episode. That's a big part of it. Of it yeah. Yeah, I'm giving it a three out of five of the Vidian organ stealers. Or, I'm sorry, scanners? Medical scanner devices? Ah, oh, the their little, uh, yeah, their little device that they yeah. use. What do they call, I don't remember what they call that thing, but yeah. I'm going to call it an organ thieving device. Like, it, yeah, like it can read your entire body 
Mm -hmm. like instantly determine what might be useful and then pluck it right out of you has the ability. Yeah. Without even with no surgery, like it's like, like I'm guessing it's a transport of some sort. It would have to be right. Mm -hmm. Like they, which I mean on second and third watch of this episode, because I did enjoy it. Yes. I couldn't stop laughing. Like really? They just, found this alien and were like, let's take his lungs. That is one of the best, most ridiculous things <laughs> ever. It's so silly and awesome. It feels so original series. I, I, that's exactly what I was going to say. It does make for a great, like brain. a great original series bad guy of the week. Yes. Um, and they're not, the Vidians are not a bad guy of only this week. We will see that. We won't see them again. You and I won't watch them on your 52. But they're going to show up. there are other Vidian episodes out there. They're one that we run into more than once. Okay. Uh, this okay. Part, part of part of the Voyager Trek was setting the stage so you could see these are the, the races we're going to run into early on until we get out of this area. I did, I did think that they were very interesting. I can't say that they're super gross on screen. Creepy, creepy as heck, aren't yes. they? Yes. Totally creepy. But super interesting. What a horrible thing to do to someone. Yes. Extract someone's lungs and then leave them there. Just le- like leave them lying there. Yep. Still still alive. Like like oh my gosh. Like like ugh. I, I that what a horrific thought. They didn't even I mean thank God they didn't because it led to the episode obviously, but no no thought about putting him out of his misery. No thought about extracting anything else. I thought about the elephant hunters that are after the ivory tusks mm-hmm. and then leave the elephant behind. Or the rhinoceroses with their the horns that and like that's exactly. <sighs> yeah, it it was it was just like you're not even being responsible about if you're going to be hunting. If that's and that's essentially what they were doing is they was hunting to survive. Oh, they were yes, very much. They set up a trap. <laughs> they set up a trap. They caught someone, mm-hmm. and then they took. I, I have to assume there was more that they could have done with something in Neelix's body, and I hate for the idea that it could have gone that way—that they would have just dissected him and put him in tubes and stuff. But I don't see, like, logically, I don't see why they wouldn't when they come across an entire. Oh, this is just a room full of jars of stuff. So why wouldn't they? Especially if they can find ways to adapt. They didn't use Neelix's lungs as they were they adapted them so so as hunters yeah they were they were incredibly creepy and i went with zombies how do they like at some point they would have to steal brains does that change they're they're a fascinating fascinating alien it's it's a weird bizarre concept that we'll run like i said we'll run into them a few times and uh (sighs) yeah and i had a problem with when we finally do get to meet them, there's no sense. They're like, we have a disease that rots everything in us, and nobody says, "Whoa, <laughs> uh, yeah." 
maybe we should put up a containment and check ourselves. Yeah, there's a moment where I thought that was going to happen where Janeway hears that they've got this phage mm -hmm. and she looks horrified and I'm like, here it comes. She's going right? to, she's, you brought this she on can, my ship. Right. And yes. what she says is, you're doing this. This is horrible that you're doing this. And I'm like, no, no. what about your ship? What about your people? Yes. You could all be dead in a week. With something so virulent and it changes so much. They say this even later on, like, I, she's trusting a lot to, from what I understand, the transporters take out any... But if it did that, then it would actually help that... That makes no sense. I can't go down that line of, line of thinking. Well... There were a lot of, like... This was one of those episodes that if you go and you pull the strings, everything's going to fall apart. Did you feel that way? Oh, <laughs> yes. I, let me bring up my notes, because you, you, just, you just hit it exactly. Um... Okay, so so this was talking about the doctor and, and how he created the holographic lungs. So, holographic lungs, how would they even work? With the transporter, of course. So we're going to use the transporter pattern to create the holographic lungs. If it did work, that means that the technology is available. So why is it that this holographic doctor is the one that thought it up? I would think that we would have this technology if we've got everything we need to make it happen. He's the one that thinks it up. But okay, how does it go inside the body? What's it being projected into? Is it physical? Is it not physical? I know they did the whole, you know. Right, he gets to slap Paris, which was just. Which is a fantastic moment, right? How is that not a fun moment? It's just a great <laughs> moment. So much fun. Uh, and then I went from there to, um, what about his heart beating and other body movement requirements that are more than two microns of actual movement? How does that affect? And then the next thing I wrote was, okay, I pulled this thread as far as I'm willing to go and maintain my disbelief. So sure, holographic lungs. That's about, yes, it's like the same with the original series. Mm -hmm. uh, just, we're going to go with it. Yep. <laughs> because there are a lot, we've already proven with Next Gen and all of the tech that if we wanted to, we could essentially let Neelix die and just replace him with a, with the memory of what was transported out, right? Sure. Why, Why not just you beam can him essentially back? essentially just a, do that. Be back a copy. Take all the matter Which of him. Which is horrible, but. Every time that they make the transporters do something new, they become a little bit more magical. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they become so magical that they basically could be the cure for death. Yes. But every Star Trek fan has already recognized that the writers have written themselves into a corner with the transporter. There's one more thread. Let's just not. Let's just. Oh, yep. Yeah. Let's like, like okay. We, he's we, got... we use the transporter pattern to make the holographic lungs. <laughs> Here's what I assumed he was trying to explain, because I actually really enjoyed this in the same way that I this may not be a popular opinion, but I really did enjoy the magical mirror light show. Um we can get to that in a second. The idea that the holographic lungs can do something that actual replicated lungs can't do was fascinating because it was kind of like saying you did need something between or you needed something that would allow his systems to use it as though matter can pass through it. Yeah. Whereas if you actually replicated what was there, which, yeah, you pull on that too hard and it doesn't work. And in the end, you got to go with the doctor doesn't know as much about Neelix as we should at this point. Like I'm, he hasn't, yeah, he hasn't yeah. given Neelix well, a full. And I remember at some point, at some point, um, the, in, in, not in this episode, but in one of the early episodes, the doctor discovers that Kess and Neelix are on board. 
for the first time and is like, he wasn't told. And he wasn't even told. More yes. disrespect for the doctor early on. We'll talk about that in a second. But And then he discovers that the whole, the whole Maquis crew was brought on board and he wasn't told about that either. And he wasn't told, so yes. he has a lot of work to do getting everybody up to speed. He didn't have much on Neelix. They had to go to the transporter pattern because that's what he had. There was a really sweet moment when Kess is just like, well, you're kind of going to have to behave like a normal doctor now and learn from experience. Isn't that nice? Which he was doing, uh, but him actually recognizing it as a program was was very nice. I like those two together. I don't really get her and Neelix, especially with the way he treats her. Mm. And I get that in this situation, it's it's he's terrified, he's restrained, and Neelix as a personality and as a character would be the worst, which is why they did it to him because Worf would probably be calm. Neelix is not calm. That kind of thing. Actually, I, I'd, I'd be happy to recommend to you a next generation episode where Worf is in similar situation. And mm -hmm, he's not calm. He basically attempts to kill himself. Wow. Actually very similarly. Hmm, hmm. Um, I'll have to, Go back and watch that. I have liked the super side note. Watching more of DS9 has made me love Worf so much more. And that's what, yeah. see, you kept asking for more war. Side note, folks, we'll, we'll, do, back we'll be back to the Voyager uh, yes. episode in just a moment. Um, but, but you kept asking for more Worf during Next Gen, and I'm like, I know she's going to get him. Mm -hmm. She's going she's gonna to get and fall in love with And I even think I told you, you're going to love this guy. It didn't happen in Next Gen <laughs> at all. It happens in later Next Gen. Okay. He, he, that character will develop far more, but we were just starting to get into some of that, and then, you know, we keep moving on. So, returning to the thing, Neelix being put in that situation, I still don't see quite the chemistry between the two of them. However, her and the doctor could have a really beautiful, kind of quiet love interest, I think. Oh, interesting. I, yeah. I, I doubt they'll go that way, but I think it would have been a really gorgeous subplot to explore. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's see. So what should we talk about with Kess and Neelix? Let's start with the fact that Kess is one year old. Oh, that's weird. You've made it weird. <laughs> they, they live an average of nine years. Right. So she's still a child. She's older. Okay, let's say the life, just to make it easy for me because math, uh, one year of her life equals 10 years of ours. Sure. You're right. That makes her a 10-year-old. Yes, I did not does. think about that. Wow. Yeah, it gets a mm. little weird. And I wanted to point that out for this reason. The Neelix-Kess relationship, I can't quite call it a romance because while I think in some ways it feels romancy, in other ways it feels weird and creepy and bizarre and you never really see the two of them couple or be a couple Right. Except in, like, these conversations, like what you saw. Well, I saw the jealousy conversation, yeah. and she was sure quick to give up a lung. So I get that. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and put that on a, 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 a tugging string. I'm just not willing to tug. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of those. So there there are. And and I knew that when we, when, when we watched this episode. So let me tell you why I wanted to watch 
phage. Um, there's, and then we can get into some of the real meat of this. First thing is, I think you really begin to see who the doctor is in this episode more than anyone else. His value yes, and how he's treated. Mm-hmm. Where is his name? That will be a an ongoing, almost bit that will go on for the majority of the show. Um, he'll try... He'll try on names. He'll 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 take on a name. He'll take on another one. The name of his creator, who looks exactly like him, is Doctor Zimmerman. Okay. So um, there's the, and there's a there's a moment where he gets to communicate with him. So it's him talking to himself. Very fun. Oh, and also this the doctor shows up briefly in uh, Star Trek: First Contact, which is a Next Generation movie, and one of them is on the Enterprise that they activate at one point. Beverly Crusher activates him. Oh, interesting. Uh, I I did. I like. I think of all of the characters, and there was a lot of character growth. I think, especially in this one, there were some great character moments. Uh, the Doctor is the most fleshed out and realistic to me. And and I wanted you to get to see the Doctor in in this light. And then the other reason was I wanted you to meet the Vidians. And then the other other reason was the ethical quandary of what the heck are we supposed to do with these guys? Yes. They're hunters. Mm-hmm. We're technically what they're hunting. We're literally. But we're not there to impose our justice on them. So so for those of you that haven't watched the show, first of all, why haven't you gone to watch the show? But to remind you, in the end, Janeway, with no other good options available, decides to let the Vidians go. I have a huge problem <laughs> with this ending and i'm i there's no way i'm alone in having a huge problem with this like because they make it seem like janeway is being moral and she's not she's the opposite like even just from a utilitarian standpoint of ethics it's horrifying what she does what would you say would be a better solution Let's let's pose this in it because I looked at like because no, I, I no, want to. This is this is part of the reason I wanted to have this episode. Yes. And this is part of the reason why I love these episodes. We are 70,000 light years from home. Mm-hmm. And she recognized that she's like, I got I'm not prepared to put you in a brig to keep you away from which will essentially kill them over time. Right. Then, then, then you've got to be responsible for them. And, and then you're setting yep. a precedent for every time that you come across anybody that does anything that we consider to be bad. Are we just going to fill our brig with what we consider to be the bad guys of the, of the Delta quadrant? Uh, there's a line between, Hmm, I think that's a little unethical and you're trapping sentient beings and murdering them for your self-interest. And even if that self-interest is, you know, not dying, you're still being a murderer. So at first, this seems like the trolley problem. Mm. And almost everybody knows this, right? You have a train coming down the tracks and it splits into two and you have control over the lever. And in one, there's a one person who's tied to the tracks and on the other there's five people tied to the tracks what do you do you have control over the lever what do you do all things being equal all things being equal most people would say you know you push it and you save more kill the one to save right, the five and you kill the one yeah but what we have here is Janeway making the decision to pull a lever 
where this train is not just running over five people, but is repeatedly and constantly running over everyone it comes into contact with. How do you not stop that train in any way possible? She did say that she was not prepared to do the same thing that they were prepared to do, which is to kill them to save the life of somebody else. So she's not going to kill them. Okay, she's not going to kill them. She's not going to stop them either. How is she going to stop them? If she's not going to put them in her brig, what is she going to do? Take them to a planet where they've done some wrong and drop them off there and let them be tried and convicted there? Put them in a cave somewhere? Given the amount of technology that they have, I would assume, like, this would be a perfect puzzle for Picard. But he, but Picard's got all the resources, <laughs> obviously, that she doesn't have. She, I think she would behave like Picard, right? It, but she's got no access and no backup. It's, if she could call Starfleet and say, I got these two things. They're called Vidians. They did this. And they're like, yeah, bring them to Starbase 47 and we'll right. deal with well, them. Uh, but I don't think it would have been necessarily imprisoning them, except for that the fact that they attacked and killed, to their knowledge. Like, the fact that we came up with holographic... Yeah. I don't know, but it's awful. And I want you to consider another thing, because I really, this this mm. episode, this this one cracked my brain a little bit. This one really, me too. right? Like, this <laughs> one really had me thinking. Yes. And I started to try and look at it from the Vidian's point of view. You have a disease, which they never explained where the disease came from. They may have forgotten. They may have forgotten. They may Unless have they're insanely long-lived. They may have created it on their own. Sure. It may be relatively new, and they're just trying to figure out how to survive at this point. No, they said it was like 2,000 years old. They were like, we've been struggling with this for two millennia. And they also said it was extremely adaptable. So all of their medical technology, it's changed. It's constantly keeping up with. Right. 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 So it's, yeah, which is weird and scary. and Yeah. How are you not terrified by that, Janeway? Like, that, would, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. It sounds like, fortunate, hopefully... Did they? I don't think they ever actually said it, and it's just us that have it. It's exclusive to our species. They didn't, but we assumed that since we're not scared of it at all. We we assumed it, but we really had no reason to assume it. We yes, just assumed it so that we don't have to deal with that. Yeah. But what were you going to say? So from their point of view, this is survival. They are they're, they're on basically a hunt for their kind of food. They attempt to get it from the dead, they said, when they can. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that there were more immediate needs. He said, when more immediate needs, we get it wherever we can. So presumably this guy, this guy's lungs were failing and he was about to die. And this is how they do their life. It's within their ethics to do what they did. So looking at it from their point of view, they're really like their society wouldn't even punish them. No, their society would be like, oh, good, you found something that you, that'll keep you living. Yeah. Here's my problem with that. The second you say, I'm going to do something that's going to hurt and kill someone else, that makes the thing that you're doing wrong. There are universal laws. Like you, It's one thing to be like, oh, we don't do that as a custom or a culture. And it's a totally other one to be like, 
we're going to kill you for what we need. And everybody else being like, okay, it is, it's this, it's the tolerance of something intolerable. And somehow that makes you more moral. But there are some people living on this planet that kill people for what they need. And universally, all the other humans are like, that's wrong. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist and that some people aren't feeling completely justified in their actions, that they feel like they are taking exactly the right action for their life circumstance and that their morality says that it's a fine action to take. And I'm not saying that I believe that. I just tried sure. to twist my brain into what would it be like to live as a Vidian. And that's, I think, what Janeway tried to do when she was having that conversation with them near the end is she's like, I, I have no idea what, you know, what you, your race has gone through. There's just, I can't imagine. I really like started to think, God, I have no idea what it would be like to have your life be that. And where if I don't kill you and take your lungs, I'm going to die. And I'm used to doing it anyway because that's what my society says is acceptable. Here's the thing about that, though, is they don't because they are so apologetic. They know it's reprehensible. They know it's unacceptable. Yeah. They know all of these things. I think maybe they also felt a little bit like, ooh, we bit off more than we – like, like they, I, they seem also like bottom feeders. I don't think they would go after, since they're the only ones that you know, the Kazon. Mm -hmm. I don't think they would mess with any of the Kazons because if they started to mess with the Kazon, I think the Kazon would come at them with force and just wipe them out. They're bottom feeders, and I think that they— They're zombies. They found this fish. Yeah, they're zombies. They found this fish that looked like it was a dead, wounded fish, mm -hmm. and they took what they thought— would be okay, and it turned out the fish had a lot of freaking bite, you know, called Catherine Janeway, and she... Right. Well, did she? Well, she, she grabbed them. They did this thing, mm -hmm. and she comes back and is like, I'm not prepared to do what you did to us. Also, they said she couldn't. We're going to assume that we believe them, because they seemed honest, even if they were just horrible. Horrible yeah. bad guys. And I don't mean, I mean that as in good bad guys because they were, they were horrible. <laughs> uh, like, I don't know another way to put that. They were great bad guys because they were such bad, bad guys. They made really good antagonists for this story. Yes, that's what I mean. There you go. Uh, but she's like, if you ever do this again, then I'll kill you. Really? The same action then, and only her people. So she doesn't care if they go after, if they, if some little Kazon girl murdering, that's, that's okay. But if you ever come after my crew again, like the first time, it's totally cool that you killed Neelix, but the second time, not cool. Yeah. Well, I can't wrap my head around this decision at all. Like she had no reason to expect that they would suddenly be nice and help. But had she used that as a negotiation, it could have been, I'm really shrewd. And then maybe Tuvok later, she has a conversation with him. It was just like, well, considering the prime directive and everything, of course, I was never going to do anything but let them go. That could have been like Kirkian a little bit. At least at least that version would have shown that she would stand up for her crew and not be like, well, you ran over one of them and murdered them, but that's okay this time. That, that she let them go before they resolve to help Neelix did bother me as well. She lets them go at all. The, one Ugh. of the things that bothered me was it was like, they knew they could help. They knew they could help, but they waited. They are such bad guys. They really are. They're, They're so bad. They like, just are bleh. Like, like, 
they just don't care about anything but themselves. They 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 glom on and they're and, and they and they sheep they're sheepish and they shy away from confrontation. They just want to take what's theirs and run away. Yes, the fact that they're apologetic about it doesn't make it any less horrifying. It's horrifying. I don't even buy the apology because of that. I don't like, either, like, which is why it's so yeah. weird. And, it's, and, and, and it sounds sincere. The apologies do sound sincere. They do. And there's just something about it that, that has me say, eh, you guys know what you freaking are doing. Okay. Yes, they do. And and you thought you could hunt us. They're laying traps and hunting. Yes, they are. I just don't know. What do you do with them? Do you kill them then and there? And then we're not the Federation anymore. Then we're just the ones that kill people when they wrong us. No, not that we're not the ones that kill people when they wrong us. We're the ones that in self-defense and for future, we stop serial killers. You don't just, you don't have a serial killer who's just like totally gonna go out here and kill a bunch of people and Janeway's like cool as long as it's not my people are is that the federation is that what we do we're just we're like well we can't hurt you because <laughs> we're not like I'm not prepared it's so yeah I, I I think I think from their perspective from their perspective they're hunting sheep it doesn't matter the actions are determining of the level of what they're doing. I understand. From their perspective, I don't care what excuse they have for killing maybe, their killing. I don't know. They, maybe they don't. Maybe they, they realize full well. I don't I don't know. I can't understand what it's like to live the life of somebody who has the right. this phage. You know? And that's, that's a part of it is how can you judge when you have no perspective. And that may have been why Janeway ultimately had to let them go is, how can I possibly judge you? I don't know your life. I don't know your, I don't know your circumstances. You're still, you've still got a serial killer who's like, oh, I'm sorry. And a captain who says, I'm, I'm too weak to stop a killer, so I'm gonna let them keep killing. And that's how it ends. <laughs> And that's, it's so... I gotcha. And this is why when I started this, I said, it seems like she's being moral. But I feel like in the end, they're making a mockery out of her ethics. Sometimes Captain Kirk has to blow up the computer to force the two planets to go to war for real to make something happen. Dang it. I don't want to agree with that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's completely different. It's a totally different, but... It's, it's a very different... But, but, but I but get it. Faced with an ethical quandary, a situation where there doesn't appear to be a good option, you do the best you can with what you got. It would be really poignant to have Janeway be confronted by, like, an entire planet who essentially got ravaged by these zombies because she let him go and looking back being like, wow, you know, it would have probably been a good idea not to let these serial killers go, no matter what the reason is for their serial killing. I've discovered this as we watch all these shows and they did this in Deep Space Nine. They did it a little bit in, in Next Generation too. These early season episodes really do point at the ethics of yes. this is how we're going to 
deal with this kind of situation going forward, or this is how we're going to deal with it today, and then have to deal with the ramifications of it going forward. Um, and that's what phage was, was it's, it's the first of many tough decisions that Janeway is going to be forced to make during her journey next week. We'll have a whole new set of tough decisions for, for crew members to have and to I make. And I really love it. Yeah. I really do because I like as much as I complain, I actually really enjoy this discussion and this thought. And I don't think DS9 had a whole lot of other stuff uh, and is totally binge worthy. This is, but it doesn't break my brain the way this kind of classic ethic puzzle does. And it does, it gives you exactly here's what she's prepared to do and not do. Mm hmm today <laughs> we'll see today. does she turn does she turn into something later on is this just going to be seven years of hell for this captain okay folks you heard her you heard what she just said we'll get to that episode eventually i promise it's on her track go ahead keep talking i don't know what just happened okay yeah you just said something really cool that they all heard but you don't know what you said okay i promise you at least one year of hell <laughs> okay and then okay getting off of the moral and ethical quandary there was something else about this and even in the other two episodes that i watched in between that i wish would have been handled differently they don't do anything with the internal conflicts Aside from Janeway rolling her eyes at Neelix a little bit and uh, for him creating the galley and having no sense of, you need to ask first before you do things. Uh, oh, we didn't even talk about the galley and that whole, we just dove right into we totally did. But holographic lungs and phages and yucky Vidians. Oh, those Vidians. Uh, they should have explored a lot more internal crew conflict, I think. It seems like everybody's cool. There was that one original thing in Caretaker where Belana's like, who is she? And Chakotay is like, she's the captain. And that's it? That's the only resistance you meet? through. Are they going to explore this a little bit more? It bothers yes. me. Yes. Okay, good. They, they were. I'm going to guess that you didn't watch Learning Curve. That was the third episode that I suggested. Is that the one where Belana in, eventually becomes the engineer? Head of, no, Belana becomes the engineer in... I only watched the two in between. That this is this is a talking track um, uh, subject. Let's go into that. Is there then. anything else that we should before we stop? Let's just make sure we got all our notes. Oh, I missed so many. We didn't talk about the galley. We didn't talk <laughs> about Chicote's totally underused. I think Chicote. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a lot of fun. Belana being super awesome with the dilithium refinery creation. She seems like she's going to be You know what? This is something I want to mention in watching all of these episodes. I think that Voyager is going to be at its finest when it is solving problems. When it's been given a puzzle and this is what makes to me a feel so original series is they get lured into this thing and they're they're chasing this ship and then they have to find out well, how can they use a beam to figure out which way to go? That was cool. Wasn't I know that the, the Hall of Mirrors where they... I really enjoyed that. It, was, it wasn't essential to the plot, but it felt so, we're going to figure this out, we're going to work together. I, I loved that moment, actually. There was, no, there was no real B story in this. It was more sort of two A stories that were kind of going along with each other. One was Neelix dealing with the lungs and the doctor and all that. And then the other was mm -hmm. the hunt for the Vidians and dealing with the Vidians once we got there. Right. And at the times where the Vidian hunt needed to be slow, 
so that we could really get the hard hitting ethical stuff going on with Neelix and let me out of the restraints and I want to, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and we didn't even talk about his right to die. Oh, we didn't talk about, yes. Like this is a huge episode. There's a whole, this is what I was talking about. There's so many little moments that you could blow up so big and go somewhere with the, not just DNRs and the right to die, but uh, family making medical decisions and consent. The doctor has no clue about consent and Kess being left with the decision. As the doctor being on, the on a Starfleet ship, it's, I, I don't know what uh, how consent works. I don't know how any of that stuff works. Right. And then on top of it, is he rational to be able to say at this moment when he is basically just this has just happened to him. You don't cut, you don't unplug someone the minute they wake up and realize that they're in this machine. Even if they say, unplug me right now, you can't, you know, you, they're not rational at that point, but Neelix needed to chill. I mean, give it 48 minutes, dude. They usually solve this stuff in 48 minutes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> you are correct. I got nothing to say to that. That was good. That was really good. Right? You're on a, you're on an episode of Star Trek. You're going to be fine. You're probably <laughs> it's probably going to work out. <laughs> There's a noise like that on Star Trek guaranteed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, It sounds like Klingon. Let's talk some track. Oh, I was thinking it sounded like a door. Well, now we're being goofy. Um, yes. So we went dilithium hunting in this episode. Do you know what dilithium crystals are? No, but clearly they need some power for the ship so that they can continue on warp seven. Yes. Headed home. Yeah, warp warp 9.975. Well, they were on warp seven at some point. At, at some point they went to warp seven because <laughs> you, know, you don't need to drive 75 miles an hour through a school zone. That is a great way of putting it. <laughs> so, so um, dilithium crystals are one of the mainstays of Star Trek. They are this thing that we mine. They're very difficult to find, and they help with the warp reaction. That's the thing that drives the ship much faster than the speed of light that allows us to go faster and faster and faster. So if there was any sort of commerce, it would be based on this. It's their oil. It is, it is their oil okay. in a lot of ways. Yes, it is, it, it's absolutely required. So I wanted to do part of Talking Track to talk about how warp drive works really quickly, just for the geeks. Okay. And then... I'm not already zoning out, I no, 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 no. So, so <laughs> let me just... And, and here's the fun part. I did some... some you know, internet searches. There's so much out there on like how warp drive works. I will not be posting a video because everybody's got their own theories and okay. everybody wants to talk about how it could like really work. Not like the Star Trek version. Oh, sure. Sure. Like right. actual science. But if you want to know basically how warp drive works on Voyager or on, the Enterprise, warp drive is essentially a forced fusion reaction that results in the annihilation of deuterium matter, essentially hydrogen, and antimatter, all of them regulated by dilithium crystals, and then they create the power required to warp space-time, which allows the ship to travel at speeds greater than light. Got it? 
I now know everything. Awesome. Moving on. So (laughs) what it really comes down to is you need to have the dilithium crystals or the reaction will basically blow up everything in in that area of space, including your ship and everything else for a long way away. Gotcha. Big bada booms. Big, big, big bada booms. (laughs) You can have a a warp core breach. If you hear them talk about that, that's a bad thing that can happen to the engine. Whenever they get hit seriously, there's a warp core breach. The possibility of that or a coolant leak. You hear a lot of coolant leaks happening in those engine rooms. I wish they would do something to beef up those coolant conduits because they always seem to be leaking. (laughs) <laughs> Other things that could happen to an engine or the engineer, you may have to eject the core, which basically means you shoot it out. Now you want to do that before it breaches so you can get away from oh, it. Right. Big bada boom. But every now and then you eject the core, but it doesn't breach. And then you can try and go and retrieve it. There's a fun episode where they try to do that uh, coming up. And it, it, just because some engineers have more problems than others, you have to be careful about not falling in love with the holodeck engineer character that you accidentally created to consult with on a critical issue. You don't want to do that. Jordy LaForge does that. Wow. Yeah, it's... That man is complicated. That man needs to... Those are some interesting engineering issues that you run into. <laughs> but I did find a really cool video that we're going to post on on uh, our site. And this is a comparison video of warp speeds of all the major ships in Star Trek. So it's got huh, okay. Kirk's Enterprise, Picard's Enterprise, Voyager, the Defiant. It's got the NX-01, which is Archer's Enterprise. And it also has the uh, the uh, Enterprise-E, which shows up much later and it's not used much. But you get to see races. Like they'll do a race from here to Neptune, here to the – and you get to see all the ships moving at their maximum warp speed. And it gives you an idea of how slow – the original series Enterprise was compared to what we're doing now and how much farther we can travel. It's a cool video. It's worth, it's well worth watching. That sounds awesome because that's very cool. What I'm really curious about is what is Archer? Gosh, we haven't even really talked about uh, Enterprise yet. Um, Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. Is that the captain? Or just Enterprise. Um, He's the captain. Okay. I thought maybe there was like a whole kind of prequel spinoff something. Well, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> There's another captain after Janeway that we haven't gotten to yet. We're not done with your track when we're done Did with Voyager. I was just you know. like, I thought maybe that there was a spinoff prequel. A spinoff? Yes, there was. That was real. There, so there was a spinoff prequel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> called enterprise yeah, okay i get it archer you just said archer. I was like, yeah <laughs> captain jonathan archer played by did you ever watch quantum leap of course i did well then you know who our captain is i do i recognize his face bacula right yeah scott bacula he's fun to watch and, and, and he's he's fun. He's got his own unique spin. And you want to talk about having to set the stage for being the first captain to go out there? He literally is the first captain of Starfleet. But he's kind of like the last one. Well, we'll see. Well, on this track. We'll see. Where is Discovery in the timeline again? Discovery Somewhere comes between? between Enterprise and the original series. Okay. About 10 years before Kirk took command of the Enterprise. I'm actually kind of curious. I've heard kind of a lot of negative things about Enterprise, but 
nothing in detail. So we'll see when we get I'm hoping there. It's, we're, we're, yeah. We ain't there yet. We're, we're, um, I, I'm laying some groundwork for you've already gotten some pretty good groundwork about Enterprise because, like, you know who the Andorians are. Remember those guys with the antennas? Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember those antennas. <laughs> yeah, so so Enterprise takes place at the very beginning. They're one of the first races we ever encountered, and uh, those antennas will look a lot cooler when we get to Enterprise. And the ship is probably way, 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 way slower. Oh, very slow. Yes, warp five is the highest. M- maximum is warp five. Yep. And they're proud of it. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, can you imagine being on a train before? Right. Like before, in the in original and seeing the difference between riding a horse and being on a train. That would have seemed insane. Yes. Yeah. And when you watch this this comparison video, you'll see the, the speed comparison. You'll be like, oh, my gosh, they're so slow. <laughs> I'm going to give you some recommendations from the second season. So here we go. Okay. We are done with the first season. We're doing Voyager differently. Remember what I said? We're, no, we're you going said much faster. Warp speed. Warp speed. <laughs> Out of the first season, we're into the second season. I'm going to recommend three episodes from the second season. Okay. The first one is it's it's a favorite of mine. And it's not a favorite of like everybody's, but it's a favorite of mine. And for some reason, the first time that I saw this episode, I just really enjoyed it. Okay. And I thought it was really cool. It's a Bolana Torres episode. She is heavily featured in this episode. And it's called Dreadnought. It is the 17th episode of the second season. Um, her past comes back to haunt her a little bit. And... It's very technical, and if you're looking for a problem of the week to solve, this is one of those, and it's okay. really and it's really a cool one. All right. So that's so that's Dreadnought. Now, Phage had a lot of right to die stuff in it, mm-hmm. so I I guess I got a little right to die e and right to live e <laughs> okay with some of my suggestions. So the the 18th episode of the second season is a Q episode called Oh, Death Wish. No, you're right. You had told me before that he was going to show up uh and and that uh the actors are really good friends uh, Janeway and Yes. Yay, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's um, fun. John Delancey and uh and Kate Mulgrew are good friends and so um they get to start acting together in a few episodes. This is the first one. It's called Death Wish. And in this, we meet another Q. And that Q wants to stop living. He wants to. He wants the right to die. And because he's omnipotent and immortal, he can't. Ooh. Yeah. And so there's a whole kind of trial. And the results of this episode will lead to um, a Q civil war later in Voyager. Wow. Cool. So if you're interested in where the Q, Q story goes, um, Death Wish is a good place to start. Now, this episode, as much as I wish this featured Tuvok and Neelix, it really doesn't feature either one of those. It's called Tuvix. T-U-V-I-X. It's the 24th episode of the second season. And in this, oh, those crappy transporters again, they accidentally merge Tuvok and Neelix together into a single being played by a different character that has the personalities of both and that's a fascinating and fun character to get to know. And then we have to decide what to do with him because we can split him apart to bring our two people back. But 
But Tuvix is a real person now to us. And do we have the right to tear him apart to bring back our two friends? Wow. And it's another one of those crack your brain a little bit episode. So wanted to give I'm you- I'm already, yeah, that's Yeah, wanted to give awesome. you a few recommendations. Okay. Um, I'm going to recommend one more episode when we get to next week as a, as a background one. But those three are some of what I think are the highlights of the second season. Okay. <laughs> Shall we talk next week? Yes. Uh, we've got another another stage setter. We're going to get some more ethical quandaries and dilemmas and things like that coming up. And this one's going to involve the Kazon. So we met them okay. in Caretaker. Right. They were the ones who couldn't figure out how to have water. Exactly. Yeah. So let's move past the whole water thing. Because apparently they're fine. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. that's good. Uh, let's not worry too much about the water thing. They're just out there and they, it's so let me give you a tiny bit of backstory about the Kazon and then I'm going to recommend one episode that you go back and watch for some background but we're going to spoil a couple of things right here including okay. the story of Seska so for those of you that, that don't want to be spoiled this is where you turn it off for like the next minute and a half and then we'll go from there so the Kazon have a bunch of different sects okay and so there's the, the, the Kazon Nistrum the Kazon I don't even know what they're all called. The Nistrum is the one we're going to deal with in this episode. And they're led by this guy named Maj Kala. Okay. And Maj Kala's come around a couple of times, and he's just a bit of a pain in the butt. Seska is a Bajoran that was part of the Maquis that is on our ship now, on Voyager. She's, okay. having, a, she's having a love affair with Chakotay. Okay. In secret. And in the episode State of Flux, which is the one I'm recommending, episode 11 of the first season, um, Seska is going to betray Voyager, join the uh, Kazan Nistrum, and oh, by the way, turns out she was actually a spy from Cardassia, and she's really a Cardassian. Oh, gee. Yeah. This face-changing stuff that Star Trek does. Okay. So it turns out that the only person on Chakotay's ship that actually was on his side might have been Bolana Torres because Tuvok was a spy, oh, Seska no. was a spy, yeah. and sleeping in his bed. Yeah, he, <laughs> he really gets hit hard by this one. Uh, well, all right. So State of Flux will give you the backstory on Seska, but basically Seska uh, is now um, hanging out with Maj Kala in the Kazan okay. Nistrum. And that's important for the story that we will be coming up to. Which is... This show features Captain Catherine Janeway, Commander Chakotay. Chakotay! Chakotay! <laughs> and a little bit of Tuvok. Okay. And it's called Alliances. Alliances. The 14th episode of the second season. Alliances. Okay. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious that they're going to be in a fight. <laughs> so... We, did we already find out that she's a Cardassian? Yes. It, by okay. the time that we get to alliances, she has already defected. She is now with them, and she has reverted to her kind of her look. She got she had a disease thing that happened, and it made her Bajoran stuff like go away. Interesting. It's it's explained in in State in, of Flux. Okay. Yeah, she looks Cardassian now. Right. Okay. I but like hot Cardassian. Well, as she should, yeah. right? Well, yeah, you know. I mean, you know. It's Hollywood. She's going to be around for a while. We got to have we got to have pretty aliens to chase. If you're not kissing them. 
I think that Seska is going to have uh, some kind of like information on what the ship is doing. Voyager, I mean. And so the Kazon Nistrum is going to catch up with them, and there's going to be a battle, and it's going to actually end up being that Janeway, Chakotay, and Tuvok figure out how to essentially strip the ship that attacked them of their power and take on a little bit of their own. Because, I mean, one, don't betray us like that, and two, if you're going to come after us, you have to expect that we're going to fight back. Yeah. So I think that that's going to happen. Okay, got it. By the way, I want to mention that your prediction from last week about phage was pretty <laughs> accurate. Neelix got, yeah. It Neelix was... gets a disease. You thought it was going to be a disease. Right. Because I thought phage was going to be, well, the phage is a disease. Yes. Hey. Well, anyway. he, he didn't actually get that disease, but it right. was because of the disease. So you really, right. you really nailed a lot of that story. Just bravo on that. Uh, we will have to see how you did with Alliances. When will you be watching Alliances? As per usual, I will be watching it on this coming Sunday, which happens to be June 24th of 2018. If you can, tune in, because if you're on Twitter, I'm at Begin the Trek, and I'll be posting stuff there. If Facebook is more your thing, there is a tab on there, and you can, well, you can, you should totally friend and follow us, or is there a friend thing? Are we? There is, you can, you can like our page, and you can follow our page, and yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear your thoughts <laughs> on any one of these channels. Also, if email is more your thing, uh, info at beginningthetrek.com will come to both of us, so. Send us there an email. You, there you go. Perfect. I'd like to see some comments on uh, iTunes. If you're enjoying it, um, we're trying to build our listenership. So please, the more comments we get, the more people start seeing it. We should say, so we'll see you next week. We should sign off. Yes, when so we I guess, have uh, you should alliances. enjoy alliances. And I will see you next week. Yeah, by the way, if she if she has a nine year lifespan, does that lung only have eight years left to go on it? Did he get himself a a lung with a? Oh, he got himself a defective lung. Not defective, just like accelerated. Wait, no, like if you took a, ah, oh, this is a weird conversation. It's strange, right? Like there's a lot of weird. If you took a finger off of somebody that was only gonna live fifty years, and you gave it to somebody who was fifty years old, does that mean the finger's gonna last longer till they're a hundred? Like I don't know. I don't. See, I don't. That's a silly question. 